Thank you for listening to Lincoln Way Christian Church's podcast. You know, there's a world that we don't, a word that we use, don't use very much outside of here. And that word is the word sin. We just don't use that word very often. I mean, you don't, well, kids, whenever you do something wrong, your parents don't go, you sinned against me. You know, they don't, they don't, they don't usually do that. You know, it just doesn't happen. Or um, whenever, uh, uh, you know, you, you, the police officer comes and pulls you over and says, how fast were you sinning? I mean, he, he doesn't do that. He, you know, we just don't use that word a whole lot. And, and a lot of it is wrapped up in the definition of what, of what sin is. And um, if you look up in the uh, dictionary and look at dictionary.com, the first definition that's given is this, a transgression of divine law. And, and if you think about that, it's a transgression of divine law. law. It has this idea of that there's a punishment involved, that there's accountability, that there's some kind of judgment going to come. And, and so we don't, we don't like that term. We don't use that term uh, very much. And then the second definition goes like this. It says, any act regarded as a transgression, especially a willful or deliberate violation of some religious or moral principle. We, we don't like that definition, do we? Because it says willful deliberate, like there was a plan to it, like we had a purpose behind it, like we thought about it, like, like, like we actually wanted to do it. And so, so there, that, we don't use that. So instead, when we do something wrong, we use a different word. We use a completely different word to describe what, 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 what we're doing. And, and the word we use? We use the word mistake. I mean, isn't mistake so much a better word? I mean, we like the word mistake. I, you know, I made a mistake. You know, I, I blew it. And, 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 and so a mistake is, according to definition, an error in action, calculation, or opinion, or judgment caused by poor reasoning, carelessness, insufficient knowledge. And so we say things like, I, may, I, I don't know what I was doing. I didn't know. I, I made a mistake. We say things like, um, um, yeah, um, I didn't have a clue that she wanted me. I, I just went along with it. I didn't realize it. I just sort of went along with it. Or I made a mistake. I didn't do anything wrong. And so we have this whole justification that, that goes along with it um, uh, uh, because we think that a, a mistake, a mistake, you don't punish people for a mistake, do you? You don't, you don't punish a kid for spilling their milk. I mean, that's, that's good, you know, just because they hit the milk. You don't punish them for that. It's a, it's a mistake. It, it's, it, you know, you just make them clean it up. You, you just, you know, that you let them pay a little bit of, of the consequence, but you don't, you, don't, you don't punish them for it. You don't hold them accountable for it. You, you don't, um, for a mistake, you just don't do that. And so because of that, we have sayings like, I made a mistake. Let's not make a federal issue out of this, right? We know that I made a mistake. I made a mistake. It's, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that, that big of a, a thing going on. I made a mistake. So why don't you just get over it? I made a mistake. I didn't mean to. Let's get through this thing. And everything, everything that I do can be dumbed down to a mistake, then I'm a mistaker. Isn't it better to be a mistaker? Because if, if I'm a mistaker, I'm not held accountable for that. I'm not judged by that. I'm not, I'm not 
um, punished for it. I'm a mistaker. I make mistakes. But if I'm a sinner, if I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. If I'm a mistaker, all I need to do is try harder. All I need to do is better next time. But if I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. And if I'm a sinner against a holy God, then I'm held accountable. Then I deserve punishment. Then I deserve judgment. But if you can just justify yourself by saying that you're a mistaker, everything will be okay just if you try harder. You do better next time. If you just work at it a little bit more. Now, the problem is, is this, is that you know that you do some things that are wrong on purpose, isn't it? I mean, you, you know that there are some things in your life that you do that is, that, 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 that's wrong, that's going to hurt somebody. Matter of fact, you, you had a plan to do it. As a matter of fact, you enjoyed doing it. As a matter of fact, you, you, you will hope to do it again. I mean, that, that's, that's sort of what it is. Because, it's, because you know that deep within your soul that there was a, was a plan. And if you drill down deep within you, you know that you did it on purpose. And then also, also not only that, what about the inside stuff? What about the inside stuff that goes on in your heart? What about the stuff that, um, that, that it's not on the outside and nobody sees? Like whenever you, you see someone and, 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 and you go up to her and you say, say, oh boy, don't you look nice today? But on the inside you're saying, I hate her. I hate her. I hate her. You know? What, what, about, that, what about that part of you that, that whenever he gets the, co- the promotion and you don't, and you go up to him and you say, congratulations on getting the, the promotion, but on the inside you're saying, I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. Or when somebody doesn't get the promotion, you say, oh, I'm so sorry you got the promotion, didn't get the promotion, you say, but on the inside you're saying, oh, yeah. I mean, there, there's something about our inside. That, that's not a sin. That's not a mistake, is it? There's just something dark within us. It's something that's ugly within our soul. There's something about us that is dark. And what do you do with guilt? Now, some of you are saying, well, I was raised Catholic, and, you know, we just, that's just, we, guilt was the thing that we learned. I mean, it was just, guilt is how you walked into the life, and if you were raised by a good Irish lady like I was, I mean, my, my, my mother, I always said the, the, the Jews, Jewish mothers um, invented guilt and the Irish mothers perfected it. And my mother had it done. I mean, you know, anyway, she, you know she, and, and she was raised in this little Methodist church. And this little Methodist church came up with things to be sin that weren't really sin, you know, like, like playing cards. So in order to keep them away from cards, you know, because that might lead them to something else, which would lead them to something else. We've got to put this bridge around. You felt guilty for things that you really shouldn't feel guilty about. But there is also this thing called real guilt, this thing called shame. This thing that goes within ourselves. I said, why do I feel bad about doing that? If, it's, if it was just a mistake, you don't feel bad about a mistake. You feel bad about sin. You feel bad about what you did wrong. And so Jesus comes along, and he has a message for you and I. As a matter of fact, he has two messages. He comes along, and he, 
begins to preach and teach. And this message that he has, he has the, the, the messages come to us. And the, and the first one I want to look at is from Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, it's the Sermon on the Mount. This is probably Jesus' best and biggest you know, message. I mean, this is where he, where he really lays it out there. And he comes and he, and he throws mistakers a curveball. Those people who believe that they are mistakers. And so, so I want to look at the verse 17. It says, Jesus saying these words to the, the, the crowd around him. First the disciples are nearby, and then beyond him is the crowd, and beyond them are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He says, he says this, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. That's basically, I didn't come to, to abolish the Old Testament, he says, here, or any of its laws. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He's come to fulfill the law. See, they didn't come to reduce down the Old Testament law, but rather came to fulfill that Old Testament law. And then verse 18, 19, he goes, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus here focuses attention on the obedience to the Old Testament law, saying, you know, if you're, 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 you need to obey it, and you're blessed if you teach it, and, it, and it's, and it's all, all a really, really, really good thing. And then he goes, verse 20, For I tell you, then unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now again, you have these people that are hanging around the outskirts. They're called Pharisees. You know what their, their, their job was? Their job was being good. They, got, they basically, that's what they, they were full-time good-doers. As a matter of fact, they, they, they were so good and, and they knew that if they, were, they kept to be good, that if God spoke, they would hear them. And they were so good and they, they would not even let the dust of regular people like you and I get on them for fear that they would become unclean. And he says to them, says to the whole crowd, he says, see, your righteousness needs to exceed those who, whose full-time job is being good whose full-time activity is being good. You, your righteousness needs to... Now, if you're a, a regular Joseph, what are you thinking? You're thinking, I can't do that. I've got a real job and a real life. I got, I got, I'm a shepherd. I've got sheep to tend to. I've got, I'm a carpenter. I've got nails to pound. I've got, I've got, I've got, I, I can't be that good. And even if I could be that good, I'll never be good enough. And so... That brings us to our first message. It's worse than you thought. It, it's worse than you thought. It, see, it's, it's not that we're not, it, it's not simply that we're, we're mistakers. It's worse than that. It's much, much worse than that. It's much more deviant than that. It's worse than you thought. And then he begins to give some examples. Look at verse 21. You have heard that, or verse 20, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Okay, Old Testament law, one of the top ten commandments, do not kill, right? Do not commit murder, right? Right there, you, you know that, heard it. And you go, yeah, that's a sin. That's a, that's a bad thing to do. And that you would be judged. And then Jesus comes along and says, says this, but I tell you, that anyone who is angry with his brother is under judgment. That's taking it to a whole, it's worse than you thought, isn't it? He says, he says if, you, if, you, if you commit murder, you should be judged. You should be punished. You should be held accountable. And then he comes back and says, if you've been, ever been angry with anyone, 
You should be judged. You should be punished. You should be held accountable. Whoa, it's worse than you thought, isn't it? It's worse than you thought. You thought you weren't that bad, but now, wow, it's worse than you thought. Then it goes on. Verse 27, let's jump down to verse 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, nobody can be that good. I mean, come on. Be real. No one's that good. See, he says, now, if you commit adultery, you should be judged. You should be punished. You should be held accountable, right? Matter of fact, back in the Old Testament, know what it says? If you commit adultery, know what should happen to you? You should be taken out and stoned to death, held accountable, punished. And then he says, now, if you've ever looked at a woman lustfully, guess what? You should be held accountable. You should be punished. You should be judged. Whoa, it's worse than you thought, isn't it? It's worse than you ever thought. And look, this is Jesus' message. And look, he says in verse 32, But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become... Uh, wait, 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 go jump back up, sorry. Verse 31. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. And that was that you, you were to give a certificate of divorce in Moses' time because what happened is a man could divorce his wife by simply saying, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. You burnt the toast, you burnt the toast, you burnt the toast. I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And that was the end. So they came up with this whole thing of, of having a certificate of divorce so that the woman, who wasn't much of anything considered at that time, is that they would have the certificate that would show that they weren't some kind of loose woman or, or anything like that. Okay, that's, that's the way the system worked at that time. Look at verse 32. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Well, shouldn't she get the chance to tell her story? Shouldn't she get a chance to do that? And Jesus comes along and raises the standard, makes it more difficult, makes it harder. It's worse than you thought, isn't it? It's more difficult than you even imagined. And look at what it says in verse 34 and 35. 43 and 44, sorry. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Well, I don't even pray for my friends, let alone my enemies. You want me to pray for my enemies? It's worse than I thought. It's worse than I thought. I, I thought I was pretty good, but, you know, you put me up against this standard. It, it's worse than, I, worse than I can manage it. I'm under punishment. I'm under judgment. I'm held accountable. It's worse than I thought. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. I don't pray for my enemies. No one is that good and you thought you were only a mistaker and jesus comes along and says no you're not a mistaker you're a sinner a sinner who needs a savior a sinner who's not good enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven let's continue on excuse me Here are two interesting things. Jesus, the people who thought they were only mistakers, hated Jesus. The ones who thought that their righteousness was good enough didn't like Jesus. But the ones who recognized that they were 
sinners that they were so much unlike Jesus, loved Jesus. They chased him around. They followed him everywhere he went. They went after him. Why is that? Why is that? Because Jesus had two messages. The first message is, it's worse than you thought. But the second message is this, from, is this, that God loves you more than you can imagine. It's worse than you thought, but God loves you more than you could ever imagine. God loves you so much that when he saw you, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you because he recognizes that you need a savior. And not until you embrace the fact that you're a sinner, you will not embrace the need for a savior. Until you understand that you're not simply a mistaker, but that you're a sinner in need of a savior, you will not embrace Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, there was a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. And they brought her before Jesus, and they said this, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? What do you say? This woman was caught in the very act. The Old Testament says stoner. Okay, what does Jesus say? Does Jesus say, oh, it really wasn't that big of a deal? It really didn't matter? No, it doesn't do that. Know what he says? He who is without sin, who, he who is only a mistaker, the one who's only a, just a mistaker, you cast the first stone. You be the one who throws the first stone at her. See, he didn't water it down. He didn't dumb it down. He said, yeah, she deserves to die. She deserves judgment. She deserves to be held accountable. She deserves it. That's what she deserves. That's, that's what she earned. And Jesus says, okay, he's without sin, cast first stone. And Jesus could have picked up a stone. Jesus could have thrown a stone. Instead, he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He doesn't water it down. Because she was willing to recognize her sinfulness, she was closer to the Savior. Closer to the Savior. We saw the video that portrayed the prodigal son. The prodigal son leaves home, takes the inheritance. Matter of fact, whenever a son would come to his dad, Dad, I want, your, want my inheritance now. Know what he's saying? Dad, I wish you were dead. How much love could that be? And the, and the son goes off. And when the son realizes that life is not going the way that he wanted it to go, that it wasn't all partying games and that he was down there in the pig slop, and he recognized that he was no longer a mistaker, but rather a sinner in need of a savior. He realizes, and he goes back to his father, and he says this. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But because of the love of the father, what does he say? Now I got you, my pretty. Sounds like the Wizard of Oz, right? You didn't know that was in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Um, you know, that's, that's not, what, not, not what the father does, is it? He says, he says, kill the fatted calf, get the robe, put the ring on his finger, right? He says, he says, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. Because why? The father's love is deeper than you can imagine. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? See, the sooner you and I embrace our sinfulness, the sooner we are attached to the Savior and to the Father. See, we think that if we, we, we don't recognize, our, if we recognize our sinfulness and we say, you know, these mistakes I made weren't mistakes, but they were rather they were sin, 
If we say that they were sinning, we think God's going to zap us. He's going to say, I got you, my pretty. I'm going to take you out now. That's not true. When we recognize that we are sinful and we need a Savior, that we're not a mistaker who can do better and do it ourselves, when we recognize we're a sinner, we're closer to the Savior and closer to God. There's a couple passages of Scripture just quickly. Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're good, but not that good. Everyone falls short of God's desire. I fall short of God's desire. All are sinners in need of a Savior. And when we admit that we are sinners, we expect God to say, I'm really mad at you. And instead, he reaches his hand of love out to us and his grace. Look what it says in verse 24 and 25 of Romans. And are justified freely. What does that say? Freely by his what? Grace. Through the redemption, that's the paying back, that came by Jesus, Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement, meaning that it was the payment for our sin through faith in his blood. See, when I only see myself as a mistaker, I can get better on my own. All I have to do is work harder the next time, do better the next time. See, all my confidence is where? In me. But if I see myself as a sinner in need of a Savior, I see myself in that way, guess what? Guess what? I embrace the cross. I embrace the Savior. There's nothing that I can do on my own to make me better. Jesus was a sacrifice, not for my mistakes, but for my sin. And the sooner I see myself as a sinner, and the sooner you see yourself as a sinner, the quicker we are to embrace the Savior. On the cross, Jesus took our shame our guilt, our punishment. We were held accountable. We were held accountable by Jesus Christ. We were punished, but Jesus Christ took the punishment. We were judged, but Jesus Christ took the judgment. So I ask you this question. Has there been a time when you realized that you were a sinner and you decided to embrace the Savior? Has there a time whenever you transferred your trust from yourself to Jesus? Can you point to a time when you did that? Can you point to a time when you said, you know what, I'm going to transfer my trust. And and, and the scripture makes it clear, the New Testament shows that, that after Pentecost, they had a simple way of accepting, making that transfer. The transfer was first of all done by faith. I, I, I believe that Jesus Christ is the way. That Jesus is the son of the living God. And in his death on the cross paid for my punishment, for my judgment, for my sin. Have you made that transfer? Have you made that transfer by saying, you know, I'm going to repent. It's going to be, I'm going to submit my will to God's will because God's will is better than my will. He knows what's best. And have you you done that? The word they use in the scripture is repentance. 
The third way that they did, in the third thing that they did in the New Testament is they confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. They said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. They said something along that line to say, you know what, I accept this, I believe this. And the last thing that they all did in the New Testament is that they were baptized into Christ, immersed in water, just like Danny was this, this morning. Just like that. See, Paul had an encounter with the Savior. And then Ananias came with a message. And that message was this to, to, to Paul. Paul, get up. Be baptized. Be baptized. And wash your sins away, calling on his name. So my question is, have you done those things? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you repented? And turn towards him. Have you confessed Jesus Christ as Lord? And have you been immersed into him? Because that's the way they did it in the New Testament. And that's the way we want to do it here. To accept Jesus Christ's lordship in our life. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to the message. I'm going to ask the band to come forward. And they're going to sing a song. And if you would like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, I just ask that you come forward. Just stand up in your seat. Come forward. And um, one of our members here of the church will come and talk with you about that and, uh, and, and do it. See, today is a just do it Sunday. I, I really, I mean, you know, it's, it's the Nike Sunday. It's just do it. Some of you have been putting it off for such a long time. You know, you've been pushing it aside, pushing it aside. It's, it's a just do it Sunday. We, we even got clothes back there for you to wear. So it's a just do it Sunday. So why don't we just do it? Why wait anymore? Why hold back anymore? Let's just do it. Let's sing. Let's decide. For Jesus.